Hey there, welcome back to this week's episode of the Seatown Podcast, where Seattle business owners, entrepreneurs, and community leaders are invited on to share their stories with us. I'm your host, Christian Harris. This week's episode of the Seatown Podcast is brought to you by Seatown Real Estate. Their mission to make a difference extends beyond just their unique and unconventional approach with their clients and their agents. They partner with the community to give back a percentage of the proceeds from each home sale to a local nonprofit of their client's choice. Visit seatown.com, S-E-A-town.com, and experience the difference with Seatown Real Estate today. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Seatown Podcast. Today I am joined by Kevin Wilhelm, who's the CEO of Sustainable Business Consulting. Uh, now, to, to me, you know, that sounds uh, kind of interesting, you know, as far as sure. how business goes. You know, but the real draw uh, for me was hearing about the recent news with the the Sounders becoming the the first carbon neutral professional soccer team uh, in the MLS mm-hmm. uh, in North America, which which I thought's awesome. Uh, I've been a Sounders fan for a little while, uh, not as diehard as, as some, but sure. uh, I thought it'd be kind of an interesting story to, to kind of hear about, like, what does that what does that mean for, you know, a, a professional sports team, you know, to uh, to become carbon neutral and, and sure. you know, how that plays into sustainability. So Great. maybe just tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got into the business of sustainability right. and what that means to you. Well, uh, and thanks so much, Christian, for having me on your podcast. Um, big fan of the Seatown podcast and what you do in West Seattle. So thank you for having me. Um, so in a nutshell, uh, you know, what what our, our firm does at Sustainable Business Consulting is we think and are, are quite certain that, you know, there is business value, profitability, cost savings, and brand value from better social environmental performance. So what we do is we go in with the organizations and we – take a look at how they currently run and operate, um, how they service their customers, how they, you know, what their supply chain looks like. And then we look for those ways that they can find um, not only kind of environmental improvement or be better and, and purchase more locally, mm-hmm. but do it in a way that's also gonna be better for the company overall, where they can find innovation, brand value, where they can save money. Sure. Um, and I think most people have this dichotomy that if you're doing the right thing, you probably have to pay more. And what we tell them and we show them, and it's all stuff that most people knew in the 1970s that if you save on energy save on water save on waste um, you're smarter about your transportation choices that you actually will save money and so it's a win-win and so that's what our business is about is making it a win-win and we serve as kind of strategic advisors to a number of different organizations okay so how did the partnership with uh, the the sounders start i mean what 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 does that look like well hilariously so i have a completely weird story on this 21 years ago, I actually was the Sounders PR director back in the old A-League. So okay. my, my first career was in pro sports. Um, I'd been a general manager of uh, a team in Minnesota, which is now Minnesota United, and then moved out to Seattle and was their PR director for a year. And then kind of thought, I need to get out of sports, and I wanted to kind of save the world. So I kind of started this consulting practice. Fast forward to last year, um, I was asked by the Sounders to come give a talk on Earth Day about what they could do around sustainability. And just that conversation just morphed into, hey, um, could I help advise them on you know their own sustainability practice internally? Mm-hmm. And over the course of the summer, we really started to feel like, hey, there's there's an opportunity here if, we, if our firm, SBC, could help the Sounders benchmark uh, their greenhouse gas emissions and see what their their total impact was. Okay. And could they find a way to then you know offset it? And that was just how this conversation started. And then as I started thinking about it of, 
being a huge Sounders fan and then of course, you know, being a West Seattleite and just want having pride in my team, that, you know, there's an opportunity here um, for the Sounders if they really want to make a big impact. It's not just, you know, what they could do internally, but could they could they mobilize their fans? Could they mobilize the entire soccer community, not only here in Seattle, but across Major League Soccer to do the same thing? And what an impact that could be. Um, so I, you know, worked with them on, you know, how they, what, what that would mean, how to go about it. And then also I had to research all the other teams, make sure that Portland Timbers or someone hadn't already done it. Um, and so fast forward to last Sunday, um, we put the trees in the ground and worked with our firm, worked with the Sounders and Forterra and, um, you know, overplanted actually the number of trees to make sure that um, they would be offsetting all of their carbon emissions from the past year. Um, and so, you know, what we've been able to collectively say is we know that the first team in Major League Soccer and in North America to do this. But I, to this point, I don't know of any other team in Major League Baseball, the NFL, NHL, um, or the NBA that's done it. So there's actually a chance where they might be the first of all the five professional soccer, uh, professional sports leagues in the United States. I just hadn't had a time to research it to double check it and make sure that you know the Yankees and the Mets didn't have an initiative or something like that. So I actually think that this effort that the Sounders are doing, uh, of anyone who's listening from Seattle, this is going to be the groundbreaking thing in the movement because if there's one area where, say, like Republicans and Democrats don't get along or climate deniers and climate advocates, they, they can get caught in their tribes. But everyone can be a fan of the Sounders or the Seahawks or the Mariners. You know, everyone's just, you know, from your, you know, your, let's say, redneck to your ultra conservative to your complete tree hugger, they all root for the same teams. Sure. And so by getting teams involved and the fans involved, I think there's a real opportunity to kind of uh, help the community locally and also uh, be part of the greater movement. I love that. I mean, I think it's spot on in, in the sense of like, you know, despite what political or social tribe you come from, by and large, the majority of people want the best thing for themselves, their right. family, their community. Right. And we just disagree on what, what that is. Exactly. But yeah. I mean, what business organization doesn't want to do something good mm-hmm. and in the process save money? become more sustainable right. as far as you know not only their practices but right. you know the res- the limited resources around them exactly exactly so what for an organization like that i mean what does that specifically you know without getting too yeah. deep in the weeds what does that specifically look like I mean, is that kind of analyzing you know how many miles they drive to practice or you know how much they're flying for games or yeah it's it's all that and you can actually go to uh, Sounders FC backslash sustainability and you read all about it and there's a, a great chart that we help them create on kind of where their emissions coming from but you know no surprise for a professional sports team most of their emissions come from flying to and from the game sure. um, then obviously electricity and energy use at the stadium uh, for their games and then um, and then it's a matter of fan travel to and from the games and then commuting so we try to take a whole comprehensive look of you know, not just their office operations, but what's the team doing at Starfire when they have games? What's their uh, Sounders 2, which is now, um, you know, Defiance and based down in Tacoma, what they do at their stadium? What do they do when they're scouting and flying to South America to check out players? Sure. Um, and what are their employees doing commuting to and from the offices? So we, we took a, a whole comprehensive look at it, and it really falls in those three main buckets. Um, so, you know, immediately whenever you work with any organization, whether it's the Sounders or... Uh, let's say it's REI or Alaska Airlines or Nordstrom or somebody in town, mm-hmm. everyone immediately looks at like the thing that they touch was a paper, you know, like what could I do on paper? But you realize like it's great to reduce that, but that's not going to be where your impact is on the sure. planet um, for what's needed. Okay. 
with, uh, I mean, once you kind of determine that baseline of, you know, consumption, right. I mean, how do you curb that, offset it, uh, you know? mitigate that I mean what's that look like sure well one of the things that you know our firm and it's kind of the you know standard best practices around sustainability is you first look at where can you reduce mm-hmm. so you know whether it's paper usage energy usage um, you know water waste you can switch to recycling w- w- anything you can reduce you can pretty much save money on so you look there first then if there's an area where you can switch say your energy use to renewables um, that's kind of the second step. And then everything else is kind of the things you can't change. Like we can't say, you know what, Sounders, uh, because you want to lower your footprint, you can't go to the game against New York this week, you know? Sure. So those are things that are there because of the nature of their business and because of the way the league schedule sets it up. So those are the areas that you have to offset. Um, so you try and, and one of the things, like I mentioned, paper being a very, very small portion of their um, impact. But one of their um, operators, the Sounders, was able to make some simple changes of double-sided paper, you know, put some default changes, margins, and everything, and saved them 20000 bucks in a matter of months. And that's real money that can then be used to, to do other things. Um, and so that's how the organization uh, kind of went about it, was first finding those reductions, things that they touch, and then where they can move to renewables and everything else offsetting. Okay. Um, now, you mentioned, you know, kind of the second step in that, you know, after reducing is, is looking at renewable energy, mm-hmm. you know, sources and stuff. Now, you know, like when I think about this, and, and I'm probably not alone, you know, sure. start thinking, okay, costs are going to go up because you want to, you know, be on the front line of something that's sure. not necessarily as, as cheap as conventional energy sources. Right. I mean, what are some maybe common misnomers or beliefs around that that, you know, if you've found through your research sure. and through helping organizations? Well, you know, I mean, there's, there's been a huge misnomer, um, and going back to our most recent presidential campaign, we had one candidate who was saying, "You know, we need to go back to coal," and because uh, it used for for a hundred years, it was the cheapest form of energy. It's it's no longer, and people think that you know it's been environmentalists that have been killing the coal industry, but actually, what it was was natural gas was cheaper, sure. so everybody changed over to natural gas. Well, as the um, you know market incentives and the government incentives that were put in during the Obama years, mm-hmm. um, there was just this actually explosion in both wind and solar power, which has actually made it the cheapest form of energy. Um, other other than in Seattle, which we have hydropower, which is Jesus. already already pretty darn clean yeah. and cheap. But um, there's a misnomer that solar is more expensive. And it used to be, but it's not anymore. It's cost competitive with all other forms of energy. And nowadays, the way that the market has worked, that you know, putting solar panels on your roof, you can get um, paybacks in a matter of years where you can do things through um, power purchase agreements and other things. So you don't have to just always think, uh, I gotta pay for the installation and the panels and put them on there and that's gonna take forever to pay off. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's more like leasing. You know, you're leasing the panels up on your roof and someone else is doing it and you can get a carbon offset that someone else will, will pay for as well. Um, so that's been the biggest misnomer is that everyone thinks that renewable power is more expensive. And actually, when you look at it across the grid, it's pretty cost competitive and it's more about financing In the same way homes are. Okay. You know, there's different, uh, you know, there's different rates and people that come to see town and, you know, want to, you know, sure. want to figure out how their financing is going to work for their homes. There's going to be some that, that work better with an upfront higher payment and some with a lower upfront payment, a longer payback, and it's the same way with solar. Okay. Um, no, no, to be dull, devil's advocate, yeah. you know, some, some may say that uh, is renewable energy sustainable if you know, the 
government, its taxpayer dollars, stop subsidizing it? Uh, is it going to be able to compete in the free market with uh, the cheaper yeah. forms, the conventional forms of, of energy? And then obviously right. there's limitations of, you know, how you know, to store the energy with solar right. or... Uh, or the relative inefficiency of wind or, you know, how exactly. much space they take or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's a great question, Christian. Um, the reality is most of the subsidies have been taken away by our Congress. So so it is pretty much market versus market right now. Um, and there are incredible subsidies that go towards um, the fossil fuel industry so that, that aren't always captured. Sure. So if you think about um, the U.S. Navy, Almost uh, $160 million a day is just escorting oil frigates around the world that our Navy protects the oil industry sure. that doesn't show up on their balance sheets. Um, but the good news is from kind of the solar and wind is that really the, the big missing chunk was always battery storage. Sure. The sun's not always out. The wind doesn't always blow. And when it does, when do you need it? Um, now with some of the you know evolution of the newest range of batteries that Tesla and other companies have been doing, um, they now can store that. So um, when the wind blows at night in eastern Washington, when there's no one who really needs power, it just kind of was like, why do we even why do we have this? It's just we're not sure. using it. And now they can store it and use it in peak areas. Okay, awesome. So that, that's pretty interesting, Kevin. Thanks for kind of explaining some of those you know misnomers, sure. kind of where things are at. You know, right. I know a lot of times you know they're just kind of old talking points from right. prior you know conversations sure. or whatever uh, in in the in society. So. Um, you know, I was listening to your, your TEDx talk, which I mm -hmm. found pretty interesting. Obviously, that's geared towards businesses. Sure. Um, I really liked your quote in there about uh, how you're saying, you know, if you aren't, as an organization, you know, if you aren't making money from sustainability, you're doing it wrong. Correct. Um, you know, I think, I think that kind of gets back to that point of to do something good or uh, sustainable or right that's going to cost you right. more. You know? Sure. Um, obviously, you know, you got your social capital and you have the... Mm -hmm. uh, you know the financial element of that right um, i mean can you speak to that a little bit more as far as um kind of the the, the cost effectiveness sure of being sustainable as opposed to just the uh i don't feeling good about you know, right doing something good. yeah or the mindset that it, right. yeah it's in there um yeah i mean quite honestly there's not i mean we've been at this for you know 14 years and you know worked with about 150 different businesses across 37 different industries so from uh Eastern Washington, hop farmers to small businesses to Fortune 5 companies uh, globally. And the reality is that there's always low-hanging fruit around the organization. Uh, you know, people, you know, in terms of, you know, energy, water, waste that, that's sitting right in front of them. Uh, nobody is using technology enough in terms of to, um, you know, in terms of video conferencing for um, business meetings and travel. The thing we hear with every organization is, well, yeah, but I'm not going to stop traveling because I need to go meet this customer. And you say, right, go meet the customer for the first time and maybe the second time. And after that, use Zoom, Zoom WebEx, use something sure. else. Um, and then when you absolutely need to be there, be there. But um, usually what happens is it takes a financial crisis for some organization to go, okay, let's cut back on these travel and these conferences and these credits. And when you figure out, well, you don't necessarily have to cut back, you can do them, but just do them virtually. Um, so there's those things. And then the other thing I would say is that you're you're eventually, when an organization truly wants to become sustainable, whether it's a, a business here in West Seattle or downtown or whatever, there is an, uh, a moment where 
profitability and sustainability are going to hit. The way they've always done things, the way that they, they want to do things is going to run into it. So I'll just give an example. We were talking to a retailer last week. They want to be a leader on sustainability. Well, their business is growing like crazy. Most of their products are made in China and is shipped over. Um, and, you know, 90% of their emissions come from the 10% of the materials that are flown in last minute versus brought in on a ship. And they said, well, we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, give up on sales sure. because we're going to do it. And we say, no, we're not saying that. We're saying what you need to do is maximize your prof- your processes to the most efficient perspective so that you can keep most of those coming in on marine, which is very low emissions, and avoid the air emissions. Now, there might be some, but you can't have it both ways. You can't say, we want to save the planet, but we're not going to shift our, our priorities. Sure. And that's where breakthroughs happen, where you know they don't need samples flown over from China anymore. They can use 3D printing in their offices. Um, they can use most of it doing digitally. Uh, they can look at things on 3D through some of the programs they can do virtually and have conversations live with a designer or developer in China rather than having a, a sample sent over, try it around, see yeah. if it's going to work. Um, so there's those technology breakthroughs. And the way I think of it is, you know, in the, in the 80s, the idea of waterproof and breathable for all of our raincoats seemed impossible. And then Gore-Tex came out. Now everyone wears Gore-Tex jackets and no one even thinks about it. And that's kind of where it's going. Or to use the idea of where sustainable business is, if you think back to the mid-90s, the idea was you had an e-business platform and you had your way to do business and you might have a website and could we do it. Now everything is done electronically. And no one calls it e-business, it's just business. And that's where this is going. So, um, and I just think of, you know, if you look at some of the restaurants in the junction, I'm a member of the West Seattle Business Junction Association. Um, it's actually 17% cheaper to compost than to throw stuff in the garbage. So all of those restaurants, all that food that's get left over, mm-hmm. throw it in the compost bin and it's cheaper because of the way the tax structure is on, on waste than to throw it in the garbage. So you wanna save 17%, just compost. And the Mariners, I'll give an example here. The Mariners have really figured this out. So I don't know if you're a Mariners fan at all, but you know, if you go to a game, you know, you buy the food and then you throw it in the compost bin. Well, they take all those that oh, comp. I'm not going to throw the food in the compost bin. Well, so, I mean, so let me just say after okay. So so, so, so in the seventh or eighth inning, you don't finish the second chili dog that you really didn't need in the yeah. beer and everything. So originally, what they had was they had waste streams. You know, recycling, compost, and garbage. Well, they shifted everything over all the all the cups, all the utensils, everything to compost. So they put it all in there. Sure. Well, so that was a little bit more expensive on the front end in terms of procurement, but cheaper on the trash on the back end. And then what did they do? They take it over to Cedar Grove. Cedar Grove has a Cedar Grove compost night where people actually come and pay to buy the garbage that literally was thrown out, you know, like three months, four months earlier. So if you think of that chili dog that you're throwing out because, oh, this is disgusting. And then four months later, you got people coming through the doors going, I want that compost. I need that chili dog, you know, flavored, you know, um, soil. Um, And Cedar Grove compost night was their biggest actual giveaway night two years ago so you have literally fans showing up to buy the waste that they might have like season tickleers that might have been buying their own waste that they've sure. done um and so this is a money maker for them it saves them money on the front end in terms of the waste but they also were able to you know sell it as a promotional opportunity to grow compost on the back end that's what sustainable business is the same thing with safeco field there's a um the waste uh, you know, the big pipeline that takes most of the, you know, uh, liquid waste, um, you know, your black water, basically, they rerouted it under Safeco Field. 
so that that temperature that water is usually around 50 degrees so when it's cold outside like this the grass can still be growing and he and it'll also be heating uh okay. i said safeco field now t-mobile park sure but that's that's a way of just using some smarter business practices to actually save money sure it's interesting so i mean obviously there's the uh the cost benefit ultimately um and then the other one i think of is kind of that alignment of values you know totally to the the smartest one and that's like you know, for my for my business for Seatown Real Estate, that was one of the big factors of like I want to be community involved. I want to give back a percentage of you know the the profits and and that sort of thing. And so all of my marketing efforts, you know, are to how can I find other people who are you know not only going to buy buy and sell real estate, but who care about West Seattle and the community, right. and doing something better and giving back. And, right. Um, I mean, that's been been a huge one. I mean, um, as it relates to like the the sounders you mm-hmm. know, going uh, carbon neutral, I mean, is there kind of a um, a tangible benefit there uh, to you know the the fan base or just kind of the they know that their their sports team is is doing the right thing and, and making a, a difference? It, it, it's both. Um, so yes, they they note they can feel good about their team leading and that that climate change is such a it's basically our existential crisis for our generation and that our team is taking the lead on it. Mm-hmm. Um, is there tangible stuff? Yeah, they're going to start seeing tangible things at the stadium. I can't tip you off on them right now, but oh, but shucks. but you'll you'll start seeing those. <laughs> yeah. um, and thirdly, they wanted to be a good community citizen. And if you think about it, it uh, your customers, people who are buying real estate for you, you want to go into a neighborhood that's cleaned up. You want to go into a nice space, you know, where things are taken care of. And that's kind of what sustainability is. You don't want. Yes, it's cheaper to just throw your garbage on the side of the road then just like doing it. Sure. but eventually who there, I mean, eventually who wants to live there and so your your home price depreciate or you know depreciates you want to be in that neighborhood where everything's appreciating and that's kind of what sustainability is all about is um you know we're starting to see that um you know homes and i know just because we put solar on our house mm-hmm. that when we look at say what a, a zillow or redfin estimate is on our house we know that it's actually much higher than that because if there's somebody out there who wants not only a home that fits that certain size, but also matches their values and basically means that they've they've got solar on the roof and if they get an electric car, they can basically run their car off the sun mm-hmm. and never have to buy gas ever again. That's pretty. That's a pretty it's cool pretty thing. Yeah. And uh, people always say to me like, oh yeah, but your electricity rates are probably going up. And you're like, yeah, of course they have. But do you know it's like one-tenth of what it costs to fill our tank of gas? So... Yeah, we're saving ninety percent by going green, and um, and it's and it pays off, and we feel better about it. Sure, you know, uh, as we're having this conversation, yeah. I'm I'm realizing that I'm actually way greener and more sustainable than I thought I was. Sure, we're we're digital, paperless. We use you know Zoom meetings, right? Uh, you know, all our listings we do three D virtual tours, right. Which you know, hopefully, will save people the time and gas to drive. Absolutely, to totally. Around, so. Well, you th- I mean, absolutely. In your business, the three D virtual tour, you think about what it was five seven years ago. You had to give up your Saturday. You drive around to look for you know five or ten homes. You'd yep. walk through them, and then you would have to constantly be like, "Well, how am I going to do it if there's only a four-hour window at this place and a two-hour?" Now people can look at their in the you know comfort of their home at any hour, day or night, right. go through it and look at it, and then be very targeted about where they're going. And that's the use of technology that's actually making not only your business more sustainable, but your potential buyers can can see more homes, have better service, sure. um, and lower their emissions while doing it. And so. That's exactly the win-win that people need to be talking about. Sure. It, it's cheaper, provides better experience, more convenient. Yeah, Absolutely. And greener at the same time. Right. And yeah, yeah. the alignment of, of values. So. Um, kind of getting into the, the weeds of your business a little sure. bit. Um, 
You know, you started 14 years ago. Yep. Uh, if you had to do over again, what would you do differently this time? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I would say that uh, I would be as skeptical about my own business growth as people are about the business. Um, when I when I started working on it in you know '05, um, you know the there was this groundswell that was starting. Like it was really hard to get going and get people to pay you right up front. Um, but then when there was this huge momentum in 2007, where like every single magazine and publication was going about climate change for a month, even Sports Illustrated, uh, that when the financial crisis happened, you know, we had been ramping up and adding staff and, you know, just thought, you know, the gravy train's coming. Um, and it was a boop, wake up call, just like it was supposed to everybody who's ever invested in anything in their life. Um, and so I probably would have been a little more conservative uh, off the bat um, because there's nothing worse than growing and then having to, to let people go. But sure. I would say that the other thing that where I feel really strongly about in terms of when you were talking about your values was that during that time you know we had a, a project that you know was going to be a significant dollar amount that would have led us to basically you know keep an employee who sat you know 15 feet away from me mm-hmm. but we totally would have had to sell out our values to work on it and i literally had this moment kind of in front of the mirror of going can i can i honestly let go of this person i really love them i care about them i want to be them but if i if i do this now then I've kind of started a slippery slope of my values and my, you know, that I don't, that I can't ever get back. And so I, I held firm on the values and had to let go of this amazing person. And as incredibly difficult as it was, it was the right call. And I now can look back on it and say, yep, I didn't sacrifice that. I'm not going to now. Sure. Well, it's good to learn early on as opposed to making the wrong decision. Then exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. to deal with that, that fallout later. Um, what, uh, I mean, you're a uh, West Seattle resident. That's right? correct. You lived here for, for a while. What, mm-hmm. uh, were you born, raised here? Or? No, I'm born in, uh, born from central Ohio where okay. you couldn't imagine a different environment, different political environment, different culture, different mindset. I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> I can't imagine. Where were you from in the Midwest? Uh, Iowa. Okay. All right. Well, I'm in, from central Ohio. Okay. So yeah, we both probably did some things in, uh, in cow territory that we aren't proud of in uh, our high school pr- years. I was pretty young when we moved over. So. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Um, you, what, what do you love most about, about West Seattle? You know, West Seattle is amazing. Um, when, I, when we first lived here, we lived in Capitol Hill and then we lived in Green Lake. But, and West Seattle seemed like the end of the earth. And I remember actually looking at houses and going, this is way too far from anything. <laughs> um, but what West Seattle is, is West Seattle is its own community within a big city. So I feel like I live in a small town, have the small town experience. I shop locally. I eat locally. I work locally. Um, and I'm also living in Seattle and uh, can do it. But I, I definitely feel like when I lived in Green Lake or I lived in Capitol Hill, I felt like I lived in Seattle in a big city. And here in West Seattle, I feel like you kind of have your own little community that you're part of. And, uh, and everyone kind of supports each other and knows each other. Sure. Uh, let's say you have some of your friends in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to show them you know, what West Seattle is about. Where, yeah. where do you take them? What do you do? Well, I live down by Lincoln Park, so a lot of times we'll go walk around Lincoln Park. Um, definitely take them down to Alki, show them, show them the beach. If it's nice out, you show them the volleyball courts sure. and kind of that area. Um, and then, you know, we usually spend a lot of time, you know, walking around either Admiral Junction or Alaska Junction to um, to shop and eat and support local businesses. And um, and and those are those are kind of some of the highlights. Um, uh, when we have friends in town, and then of course we, you know, we take them down Pike Place Market or you know sure. whatever their interest is. But I'm always shocked at 
how much of our time we have friends, we actually stay in West Seattle and don't go to other parts of town. Sure. That's how you know you're true West Seattle, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't want don't to go over the bridge. Well, it's not only that I don't feel like we need to. You know, we have friends come in from sustained, Minnesota, sustained California, life. wherever. Yep. We have what we want to show them. If you, you know, most time you spend socializing, eating, drinking, walking around, that kind of stuff. So why, why go 40, 50 minutes away when... You can find old growth in Schmitz Park. You can find a great walk in Camp Long. You can walk along the water at Alki. If it's too crowded, you go to Lincoln Park. Mm-hmm. Either personally or professionally, what's yeah. been some of the best advice you've ever received? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I would say the one of the bits of best advice that I uh, that was shocking to me when I heard it was uh, that you know that you can't always count on other people to um, follow through with what they're going to do. You know, when I was young, uh, you know, my early 20s, I always thought, okay, well, if I tell someone I'm going to do something by this date or time, then I'll do it and deliver it to them by that, that date or time. Sure. And I'll make sure I spell check the work and make sure it's accurate. And I'm, I'm always blown away um, in the business world how that's about 30% of the people and a lot of people aren't, aren't as responsible. Sure. Um, but I'd say the best, some of the best advice that I ever got was, um, to always tell the truth, but tactfully. So, you know, if, if somebody or someone is, is going to make a decision, never sit back. You always feel better if you don't bite your tongue. But if you're going to say it, you have to say it in a way that's respectful, that's truthful and honest. And sometimes you have to say the truth in a, in a bit of an anecdote or in a bit of a story or an example. Um, that most people don't prefer that direct confrontation, and especially in Seattle, where everyone seems to be, um, you know, super passive aggressive. But um, you know, those are some bits of advice that that I've always gone on. But you know, just holding true to your values. Um, you know that you know at the end of your life, whatever it is, you're never going to look back and say, "I wish I could have worked more. I wish I would have sold out my values for money." You know, sure. you're, you're always going to look back and say. That I do the right thing, that I support the right people, and um, you know, and that's that's what at the end of the day you stand on. I like that. I, I, that resonates with me. So essentially, do what you say you're going to do. Right. And uh, tell the truth, but do it temper with kindness. Right. Exactly. I like that. Um, would you say there's? I mean, other than you know those great you know values to uh, you know live by. Do you mm-hmm. have any personal habits that you'd say contributes to your success? Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things I think it's uh, having a routine, you know, that, that you know, you make sure that because uh, everybody has excuses why they can't do things. We're all super busy, but, you know, building time for exercise, uh, you know, just because if nothing else, it clears you up mentally and helps you um, helps you realize where to prioritize. Um, so any day that I feel like I'm super stressed and, oh, my God, I don't have time. I absolutely make sure I get to the, the gym for half an hour, an hour. because I find out that when I'm doing that and I'm letting out that kind of, um, you know, physical exertion mentally, all of a sudden I go, okay, I really only have to do these three things today. And I, and I make sure I concentrate on those. Um, the other thing is I just think um, persistence is, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a habit that I have of, um, or maybe it's, I guess, a characteristic. It's not necessarily a habit, but I think in, in anything, any line of work, and you know, as an entrepreneur, um, there's good days and bad days. There's ups and downs. Um, there's going to be a lot of uh, no's for every yes. And just, you know, not taking it personally and being persistent and continue to carry on and realize that, 
you know, you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And that's, that's what you needed to be doing. Sure. Don't, don't worry about people around you doing as much as what you need to be doing. Right, exactly. Do you listen to podcasts? I do. What uh, What are your favorites? Uh, well, right now, uh, my wife has me a lot on the uh, the Daily from the New York Times. Um, I listen to uh, several NPR podcasts. I've just been now trying to get more local into ones like Sea Town and some other ones around okay. Seattle. Um, and believe it or not, I listen to quite a bit of podcasts on MLS Extra Time uh, for soccer, some of the ones that the Sounders have, sure. and, uh, and Danny David Moore during football season for the, um, uh, the Seahawks. But I try and, try and balance it out for every, every one that like, makes me feel like, oh, God, the world is really not in a good place. Then I, I'll turn on some sports thing, and that will completely distract me, and I can worry about – you know, what are the Seahawks going to do with their offensive line or are the Sounders going to bring in a de- designated player? Sure. And I can get just as fired up about that mentally really quick, and that, that's a very good distraction. Sure. Uh, if you could recommend just one book to our listeners, what would it be? Gosh, that's a unbelievable question. Um, I would say if you're looking at business um, and – you're trying to figure out, especially as an entrepreneur, um, the book "Good to Great" by Jim Collins is a is an, that's a classic that you can go to. Top three. Yeah, and then if you're into sustainability, and I don't mean to toot my own horn here, but um, I wrote a book three years ago called "Making Sustainability Stick," which was all about how do you implement successfully. Um, and what I thought was when I got into this field. Um, and, and probably similar to you, Christian, that you know, you get in and you think, okay, these are the technical things that I have to do, and I set it up right. Mm-hmm. But everything is still relationships. Everything is still a people business, and understanding the psychology of the person you're doing. So, so when I wrote Making Sustainability Stick, it was because I, you know, I've been working with about at that time about 50 or 60 companies, and was seeing here are the commonalities of why organizations are getting stuck, and here's how to actually make it stick and be successful long term. But about halfway through, I realized. Oh, so much of this psychology, so much of this is change management, behavior change, understanding where people are coming from, putting things in the right language and terms they can understand, simplifying it. And so just like I would say, if you're trying to do that in any organization, it's kind of got that key of how to talk to people differently. In the same way when, you know, you're talking to or any of your listeners here looking at a a new home, a first time home buyer, you really (laughs) explain things to them in a way that someone who's had five or 10 different properties and bought and sell, like they have a totally different mindset or the house flipper versus the person who's going to retire in it for their house. Yeah. You got to use everyday language. And and you got to also hit them where they are. You got to like... You know, not be selling them on the wrong thing, selling them on what what they care about, and 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 being authentic to that. And I think that um, that was one of the reasons why I wrote that book was because I, I at first I thought it was going to be all about sustainability, and I was like, really, this is a lot about uh, psychology, culture, um, employee engagement, behavior change, and it really is applicable across all businesses. Okay, that actually sounds pretty interesting. I, I love reading books like that. So, uh, as we wrap up here, can yeah. you share one piece of parting guidance or words of wisdom with our listeners? Yeah, I would say that um, if you're listening to this, and especially since my expertise is in sustainability, is the best place to make change is right where you are. Um, you know, if you have a job, if you're working at a school, if you're in school, um, you know, if you're wondering what you can do, you know, start within your house, start within your organization, start, you know, um, you know, if your company isn't doing something, you know, uh, start a green team, or if they are on that, join it and see what small changes you can make. And then you'll move 
to the next level. I find so many people that'll come up to me and say, you know, I hear about this climate change thing, but it seems like such a big thing. And I, I don't know how this relates to me or whatever. And what does that mean in West Seattle? And you go, well, here's some things that you can do in terms of your own habits at home, your own habits at work, when you go out to eat, um, you know, even just like what types of food you order or ask about, you know, is the seafood that you're ordering, is it, is it you know, Monterey Bay certified, you know, is it wild salmon, you know, just asking certain conversations and, and questions because you don't realize that every one of those businesses is waiting for consumers to ask enough to then change their behavior and they won't do it. And so wherever you are, um, if you want to make change, you can. Um, and you know, what I would say is, you know, you don't have to ask for permission. Sometimes you ask for forgiveness and just go for it because, um, you know, it, it is one of these big challenges you read about in the news every single day about how worse things are on our planet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a year ago, it said we have 12 years to correct this. Well, now we're at like almost 10 and a half years to correct this. That's not very long. Um, so we all need to be pitching in. If we all pitch in a little bit, we can get there. Okay. So it's really getting back to that uh, famous, uh, I believe it's Gandhi quote of, you know, be the change you want to want to see in the world. Absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, and same with the Margaret Mead quote, you know, never underestimate the power of a small group of people to make great things because that's what's always done it. Sure. That's great. Well, thank you for your time, Kevin. Um, it's been a fascinating conversation. If people want to find out more about you, your book, uh, your business, Sustainable Business Consulting, where, where should they go for that? So the website uh, is sustainablebizconsulting.com, so sustainablebizconsulting.com. You can also go to, I have a personal website, uh, kevin-wilhelm.com, um, and you can follow us on Twitter at... Um, Kevin Wilhelm, SBC, or you can follow um, the company at SBC underscore consulting. Um, so those are, the, those are the Twitter handles. And if you're wanting to know more about this, uh, follow our company and follow me on Twitter. We're, we're keeping the news that's relevant and people need to know about it on a daily basis. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, Kevin. It's been a great conversation. All right. Thanks, Christian, so much. That wraps up this week's episode. Make sure to check out our guest website, pay them a visit, and help spread the word about what they are doing. If you have any questions, know someone who should be a guest on here, or has a great story worth sharing, email me at christianharris at ctown.com. That's S-E-A-town.com. I would also love it if you would go to iTunes and give us a review and a nice five-star rating. We work hard to bring on great guests and provide exceptional content, and getting a review from you is one way to help the podcast rank well on iTunes so others can find and enjoy the show. You can also find out more about me, how my real estate brokerage is breaking the mold and making a difference in our Seattle communities, and other projects I'm working on by visiting ctown.com, S-E-A-town.com. Thanks for listening. The music for our podcast is courtesy of The Fascination Movement. You can find their albums in the iTunes store. You can also listen to more episodes and find all our show notes on our website at seatownpodcast.com. This has been a Seatown Media Production. Production.